Hey guys, scroll all the way to the bottom of the show notes and check out some of the sponsors that we have for this episode. Uh, if you're looking for an all-in-one cloud-based dental software, go with Carestech. They're giving you guys an exclusive offer and you can check that out in the show notes below. Or if you need a fully digital US-based dental lab, then go with Dandy. They sponsor this episode too and they're giving you guys a free three-shape trio scanner and $250 in lab credit. Or if you are looking for phone services, right? Maybe you're looking for phones, a phone system, or a VoIP service, then Mango Voice is giving startups completely free services. Or if you're an up and running practice already looking to switch phone providers, then they're giving you up to three months of free service completely free. So you can go in the show notes below and check that out. All you gotta do is just scroll all the way to the very bottom of the show notes and check out the deals that they got going on just for you. And guys, that's a fantastic way to support the podcast is by checking out the sponsors, scheduling a free demo, or if you like what you see with them, then you can sign up to their services. Just use the links in the show notes below, or if you want, just mention the Dental Marketer podcast uh, when you're talking to them and they'll give you the exclusive deal. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Marketer Podcast. I am your host, Michael Arias, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Laraway. When I started up, I was still associating. I had a young a toddler at home. When I decided it was time to do this, my wife was like, just don't make, just make sure you're not spending too much time at starting up. I want you to be part of the family, too. So I think that's the most challenging. You know, dental school and residency put off your life really for a while. You don't buy a house usually. Most people don't have kids usually. So it all tends to happen all at once. You get your job and get a house and start your family. So that was the hardest thing was trying to find enough time to make sure the practice is going well. Um, and that's like why where I said delegating tasks and stuff is very important and hiring the right people that you trust that can do the job is very important. And it continues to be a challenge. There's still not enough time every day to do things. I have a to-do list that it seems like I keep adding three things and doing it. So it's just, you know, it, it never ends. Um, but you still get to see your hard work pay off. So um, I'm still yet to spend the night in my office, which was a big thing for me. I didn't want to be that guy afraid of sleeping bag, you know, while you're starting up and pulling all nighters. So I didn't do that, which was my goal. So I still try to be at home a lot. But that's the hardest thing is trying to be three different places at one time. Now, Rob is a soccer player transformed into an orthodontist. And I know as he hears this, he's going to love it that I said that. But since he saw what an orthodontist did, his friend, his friend's dad was one. He decided, you know what? That's what I want to do and own my own business. And he did. He really did. He lets us know how starting your own ortho practice is way more difficult and different than acquiring an ortho practice. And it's also a whole different ball game than starting a general practice. Uh, one thing I like that he did was before owning his own practice is he went to other practices in the community and took notes on what he liked and didn't like. And they let him go in and do this, which was interesting to me. It made, it made it like, oh my gosh, why don't we all do this, right? He also lets us know how he found his location, how much money went into the build out. We discuss dental contractor versus regular contractor, which one is best? We hear all these things, right? So he lets us know the details on that. He also lets us know the research he did before deciding where to open up shop. 
And guys, I mean, he looked at the competition and school expansions in the community. So that's super smart. And he lets us know what kind of marketing he did to help him grow uh, the best and worst kinds in his opinion. Where does he see room for improvement right now with this current practice? And also he discusses his personal life and how this all came to an effect and more. So guys, without further delay, here is Dr. Robert Laraway. Robert, how's it going? Good, Michael. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, but do you prefer Rob or Robert? Rob would be great. Rob. All right. Rob, man, how's it going? So where are you located right now? So I'm in Maryland on a little island in the Chesapeake Bay called Kent Island, uh, which is near Annapolis, Maryland. And I hear like in a couple months, maybe a month, it's going to be like extremely beautiful out there. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, fall is usually the best time of year out here. Still, we still get the heat and humidities. It's pretty, pretty hot summer. How hot does it get over there? Uh, with the humidity, heat index is like 100. Oh, wow. I don't know why I was thinking like 80 or something. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Gee, and then with the humidity, even. Yeah, well, it's like 90s and then the humidity puts it up to like on. Wow. So it's like those two shower type of days where you're like, I feel sweaty. I mean, it's, yeah, if you go outside, you sweat. Yeah. Man. But I, I do, I feel like Maryland is, is it Maryland or Vermont or that area where like you see in fall, it's like, like oh, so many colors, like. New England, that's more New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. So that's a little bit further north than us. How far is that from you? That's uh, probably three or four hours north. Okay, okay. It's not that bad, not that bad. Okay, good, man. That's awesome. So, Rob, let's get into your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. So kind of had a sad childhood dream. Actually, my parents just moved out of their house and they saved all of my schoolwork. Even though, even like the little macaroni necklace, there was a, a sixth grade, my name is, I'm blue eyes, blonde hair, and in there said my goal, when I grow up, I want to be, go to full scholarship to play soccer in UCLA, which didn't happen, and I didn't go to California. And then I want to be an orthodontist. So in there, I had a dream of being orthodontist at, in sixth grade. And I think that's because I had early treatment. I had a phase one, so I had an underbite of my orthodontist fixed that. And then... Going on, my best friend is actually my orthodontist son. So I was at their house all the time and I kind of liked the guy he was. He was kind of a pillar in the community. Uh, you know, he was always at my, my friend's soccer games and all the sports. So I liked the dental side of things. I had a lot of friends with physician parents also, and they were on call and they could make it to events and stuff. So I kind of liked the idea of being my own boss, kind of dictating my schedule. So then it kind of just transitioned into there. I uh, grew up in central Pennsylvania, ended up going to Penn State in Pennsylvania, knowing I wanted to be a dentist that whole time. And then after Penn State started dentist school at University of Maryland in Baltimore, and then kind of grinded, knowing you want to do ortho, you get like a B on an exam and you're like, oh, I'm done with ortho. Okay, I'm not going to But ended up getting into Maryland. So I stayed there for another three years uh, for residency. And then my wife, who I met in college, is doing her pediatric dental residency. Maryland's kind of split by the Chesapeake Bay. So there's the Eastern Shore, which is across the Chesapeake Bay, which is where I am. And that's where she did her residency. And we ended up staying here. So that's kind of what got me into ortho. was more of my best friend's dad and seeing kind of the guy he was. And everyone looked up to him and wanted to be kind of the entrepreneurial aspect of the dentistry. Gotcha. And where in this were you like, oh, I'm going to get my own practice? Yeah, so 
going through residency, probably the most common way to become a business owner in orthodontics was to find a good practice and become an associate, you partner in, you buy the practice when the <laughs> guy leaves. So that was kind of my intent. It would have been ideal if I could stay in my hometown and take over my friend's dad's practice, but my friend actually became an orthodontist and he took over his dad's practice. So, so for a while I looked for that. I was close to retiring orthodontist. I liked the practice. I liked him and just didn't exist. So kind of with DSOs going into dental, it's big now. OSOs, which are orthodontic um, organizations, are starting to virtual the a lot of the orthodontic practices. You know, they can pay more than people right out of school. So it's very hard for orthodontists, younger orthodontists now to find a practice for sale. Starting your own practice for ortho is a little bit riskier than I would say for general because your cash flow is delayed. So you start a case, the two-year case, your fees are spread out over two years. So you only get like a little bit of treatment fee up front, as opposed to you come in, you get a crown, you collect, and you're done. Even insurance is paid out over that two years as well. So I would say the startup is not a common path, but I feel in orthodontics, but I feel like it's becoming more and more common as these OSOs are buying out the established offices. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So let's rewind a little bit, man. Rewind yeah. a little bit. You said um, that paper you had, it was a sixth grade? Yeah. Sixth, sixth grade? grade. Uh, September 7th, 2000. So um, a few years ago. Yeah. And so then why soccer? Uh, I played soccer throughout my whole childhood in the high school. And I've been on here. My favorite player is Kobe Jones. This was this guy with big dreadlocks and he went to UCLA. So I guess that was always my goal, but trying to play soccer in college and go to dental school is a little bit challenging. <laughs> Still play intramurals and stuff here and there, but that soccer dream died out as dental took over. Yeah. That's cool that you put orthodontist though. And now you are, you know what I mean? Yeah. Wasn't my best paper either. I think you got like a 90 on it. We're not skipping lines, but <laughs> hold on to that forever. Yeah. Dude, a 90 is like, uh, a plus plus in my household. So, but uh, so very, very early on, you already knew you wanted to be your own boss. Yeah. I, like I said, part of the reason why I wanted to be honest, I don't think I knew what orthodontists entail, you know, yeah. wires and all those. I think I just wanted to be that my friend's dad who he kind of ran his own schedule. He led a team. He could look at his work and it paid off in the end. I kind of wanted, wanted that incentive and motivation, you know, your hard work gets paid off if you're usually if you're a business owner. And then it kind of just went from there. As I was, I started off as an associate and kind of seeing the production numbers, I was like, why am I working this hard? And I could, I wanted to be an associate to learn, but then I liked the business side of things. So it made sense to become my own boss and start at my practice. So what did you learn in your associateship where you're like, I like this. I'm going to take this to my own practice eventually. And then what did you were like, I hate everything about yeah. this. My first practice was still, well, our first associateship was while my wife was finishing her residency. So it was a high Medicaid office. So, and I was right out of school. So I had to learn, you know, as a transfer case. And so I saw a lot of cases that were already started and kind of had to learn my speed. You know, you sit down ortho, you sit down for a patient, you have to think of what you're doing tell the assistant and they do it. Um, they call it the treatment plans pretty quickly. So I learned my speed in my first associateship and kind of how to be efficient in treatments, which you don't really learn in residency. And then when my wife got her first job, I switched associateships to a more private insurance, private pay practice and learned a lot more of the business side of things, the systems, you know, how to process insurance, how to take patient phone calls, 
how to do treatment consults. Again, business, we don't learn much business in dental school. You don't learn much business in residency. So rather than getting out and trying to learn it in a startup, I try to take in as much as I could. And I would even go to, even when I'm not looking, go to practices in the area or friends' practices and just kind of take notes of what I liked, what I didn't like. So I had a Google document for like three years of thinking of curing likes that I liked, this that I liked that saw at this practice and kind of just made notes for myself. If I ever decided it when I practice, I kind of had a baseline of what I liked and what I didn't like. That's nice. They, did they just let you go in? You yeah. would walk in and be like, hey, man, I want to like check out what you guys got or oh, yeah, this is script. Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't, and initially when I was looking at jobs, you know, you would go for like a working interview and I would just observe and watch them. And then, you know, as I was an associate, we still, people like having, talking about ortho. And so some of the owners, they would be friends with people that I know. So I would just reach out and say, do you mind if I come check out your practice for a day and spend a day there? And they actually learn from you too. You bring things that you learn, you know, as technology is coming through with clear liners and CAD, some of the older orthodontists were exposed to that. So I think more and more, as I'm seeing more and more CE events, it's like, come to my practice and watch me work on patients for a day because you don't really get exposed to that residency. That's true. You're right. Do you feel like, or was there ever a, a, a practice that you went into where it wasn't even worth it? I don't think so. I think Regardless of if the practice was good or bad, even if you don't, even if you learn something, one thing that you didn't like, that's still helpful. It's still worth it. So I don't think there was ever a wasted visit, a wasted question. I think even if everything was the same, you could pick up one thing, it's worth it. Yeah. What were some things you didn't like and why? It's a good question. I don't even know if I, I mean, I, I, the old school was a lot of wire bending and that's kind of faded out as you can position brackets better and. So there was an awful lot of things I, I picked up that I didn't like. It was more of the things I tried to focus on that I would want to implement in my practice. Got you. So in your first associate, you learned your speed. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, were you getting it down or that's how you're like, this is how I'm always going to, or are you still trying to improve your speed now? I mean, it's more decision-making. So ortho, you're not, it's not how fast you can do a MOD, you know, it's decision-making. So you see a patient, you see their bite, you see their teeth, you have to come up with a, a two-year plan in your head and hope that it works the way you think it's going to work. So getting up the speed with trying to come up with a treatment plan is probably the biggest for ortho. And it's all doctor time because I was seeing, you know, anywhere up to 100 patients a day. So you have to be quick. You know, you can't just sit and try to think about a case. And um, so that was where the speed came from. It wasn't actually clinical speed. It was, you know, your mental speed and decision making. Got you. That's good. That's really, really good. And so your wife is also a pediatric? Yeah. She's a pet? Yeah. Oh, okay, so are y'all like right now? Does she have her own practice too or no? Uh, she's in line to partner. So that was kind of what led me, my second associateship, uh, I was hoping it would be or turn out to a partnership, but that ended up getting sold to a corporate. Mm. So at that time, it gave me kind of the kick in the butt to open my own practice. So having my wife as pedo, it was a little bit lower risk for me because I knew what source of patients, you know, I could depend on her for referrals. So I opened my practice December of 2020. So I couldn't get lemons because COVID was out. People weren't starting, startup loads, you know, you couldn't really get them. <laughs> um, so I found a place to sublease actually. It was an accounting firm. They went and moved all virtual and in-home. So he had like a one-year lease left. It had bathrooms, it had a reception area. So I thought, you know, this could work. It was low risk. I could, I didn't put a whole lot of money into the build out. 
I painted and I got a delivery, like a mobile delivery cart. So it's like the compressor vacuum is all in the cart. Because ortho, we don't use the drill a lot. Yeah. So I set up shop for, I got a, a loan for a, a pan machine and that was pretty much it. The rest was, it was all, and I brought, I bought the supplies with our own money, went through with our own money and got up and running. So I ended up, this uh, sublease is still right across the street. I'll go over where I am now, but that's positioned right next to two elementary schools and right across the street from a middle school and then right down the street from my wife's practice. So it ended up kind of was like a fate, you know, it worked out really well. So your wife has had her practice first and then your second or no? My wife has her first job um, and it ended up turning into a partner track. So once that happened, we kind of felt comfortable buying a house. We rented for a little time until we knew we wanted to be in one place. So we didn't want to buy a house as an associate and after we moved. So once she was on partner track, we bought a house. And then uh, about a year later, I opened my own practice. So she's been an associate for three years now and then is in line to partner at that practice. How old is your first kid? Three. Oh, so that wasn't during... It was so we had him right before my wife started. He was about two when I... Or one and a half when I opened up. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot, Rob. <laughs> I mean, all in the middle of... Uh, I, in the middle of COVID, but at the COVID, yeah, bought a house in the middle of COVID, opened my practice, middle of COVID. Yeah. yeah and then now your practice and then, you know, in line for part of it. It's a lot. We'll, we'll get into the psychological part of that a little bit later. But when it comes to the build out, how much was that? So my first build out, I moved locations since then, but my first build out paint was $3,000 and I redid floors in my console area and that was 500. So the rest was equipment that I got. That was it. Okay. How much was equipment? So I found used equipment on Craigslist. So all, I'm very patient. I waited for the right place to open up. I waited for the right equipment. So chairs and carts and stuff, a couple thousand dollars. And then that was on Craigslist used. And then um, the x-ray was probably about 40. And that was through a dental vendor. That I didn't want to buy used because I was afraid if it didn't work, then I'm out of luck. And then a sterilizer came with the chairs. There's a little statum, so we didn't need a whole lot. So we just got up and running. And as cash flow got better, we invested into better and newer equipment. So it was kind of a low risk, lean, lean startup. Yeah. So in total, how much was it then? Equipment, without the load, equipment and all that was probably 60000 60, and then with the loan, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's including that, including the loan. The pan was 40, the... And the paint stuff was five. So yeah, I got up and running. With 60? Yeah. How many ops do you have? So since we've moved, it's an open bay concept. So we have uh, four chairs now. And then we're going to build a private room for, you know, more adults and Botox and filler and stuff like that to bring in. So this used to be, an, you said an accounting, right? The old one, yeah. The old one. And so you decided to put just the equipment there, chairs, Somebody yep. did the plumbing and all that stuff, right? Plumbing. So I didn't need any plumbing because I had that mobile cart, no plumbing. And then I knew at that one year mark after that sublease went out, I would either have to do a full renovation, plumb it out, sign a 10-year lease or something, or move. And during that time, the building right across the street from my accounting firm went for sale. So it was a standalone building, better parking. Um, so it took a long time to try to get financing for that, but it was the right time to buy. Rates were good. It was still, inflation didn't jump up yet. So 
in October of 2021. So only about 10 months after opening, we purchased the building across the street and then we started renovation there. So that was a little bit more involved. That was a full build out. It was, I, I mean, it now it was a pizza place. So we had to kind of gut everything and then do a build out. And even my build out here was, I would say a lot less expensive than a full build out. I, I tried to do things a lot myself. I used a regular contractor as opposed to a dental contractor because I researched, I kind of knew what I was doing for the dentist side of things. Mm -hmm. And it already had bathrooms. We turned the old walk-in freezer for the pizzas into our utility room. So vacuum and compressor are in there. Um, so this build out was probably, I got new chairs, new equipment. So we're probably a little over a hundred thousand for this build out and equipment. Nice. Who'd you go with for, or did you get a loan from a specific bank? So I went with PNC for both the building purchase and the build out. It was more of a loan of credit. So I tried to get, you know, the federal loan, which takes forever, almost lost the building. And then uh, PNC worked with me a lot. I'm very thankful for them and they're still great to work with. So they kind of funded everything. That's good stuff. Yeah. I hear two things when it comes to contractors, right? I remember going to Breakaway a couple of times and, and they, they talked to us and they're like, why would you want to go with the regular person when dental's all, you know what I mean? They're like exactly what you need. They know all the ins and outs, all the details. Then I hear the opposite. Then I'm like, oh, same thing, but they just slap on dental and then they upcharge like, you know what I mean? Like a but yeah, the, the, the uh, dental tax, right? Yeah. I'll, yeah. My friend who's a vet, she got the Midmark M11, same sterilizer. It's like $2,000 cheaper than the dental version, which is the same exact thing. I put in time, you know, I went to Breakaway. It wasn't as... Ortho specific, you know, ortho is like a whole other ball game compared to the other specialties, I feel like. Um, and then I just, you know, read Dental Town, listened to podcasts, read Facebook groups and tried to learn as much as I could about the build out process, what I needed. Banco actually helped me with my floor plan. And I, I learned a lot of floor plans on Facebook and stuff. So I was comfortable. I actually had to tell the contractor, here's what I need for the lines, for the plumbing. And I still run on a dental, local dental plumber. I think that was important, but the rest of the build out was just the general contractor and saved a lot of money, I think. Yeah. That's good. Do you feel like sometimes, I mean, you see some of the posts and groups and things like that. We're kind of too boggled down on the details where it's like, hey, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's dental work like type A, you need to like control everything. And yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. So I was here a lot, like, but the, luckily I was working across the street when I was still subleasing. So I would be over here every day, like, what's going on now? You know, micromanaging the construction, but that's how you get it the way you want it, I guess. That's what I was going to say. Like when you went in there and I guess like to, I guess like for lack of a better word, micromanage. Yeah. Did you notice like, hey, you're, you're doing this wrong. Like, didn't we discuss this or, or yeah. no, never did that happen? No, there were some things like they started putting the drywall up and then I realized they never insulated in the walls and you know, dental, like it's so loud. So they had to tear, the, luckily I caught that, they had to tear the drywall, put the insulation in. So they're, I mean, I'm glad I was here and I, you know, I had a whiteboard with my notes for the contractor when I wasn't here. And like, please make sure you do this, this, and this, because you don't want to have to go back and do things again. It's not the way it should be the first time. Yeah. So it is good then, right? Like, yeah. would you recommend like, hey, get in there? Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to let them do their work, but I would definitely make sure they're doing, I went every night, like after, I was still working part-time at an associate ship. So at the end of the day, I would drive over to the office, check it out. No one was here, but just make sure everything was done how I, would hope it would be done. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So then when did you start the hiring process? So I started the hiring process. I worked myself for the first month. So I was doing all the calls, you know, patient would call and say, this is the doctor I'm talking to. So 
I called insurances, did all the exams, did everything. And then about a month, I brought on a clinical assistant and kind of cross-trained her to help with front desk, which was very important. She was learning everything because early on, I feel like the more, if you can get someone that can be, do multiple things, it helps a lot. And then I would say about six months after that is when I brought on a, a receptionist to, you know, be up front and kind of handle all that. So the clinical assistant could do all like the adjustments and treatments. So you have how many employees in total right now? So now we have three. We have sterile, sterilization and records. She takes pictures. She runs sterile. She flips chairs. She helps us. She's Spanish speaking, which has been a lot of help here. Um, and then we have a lead clinical assistant and then a front desk admin. Got Okay. So three employees and how'd you, how'd you find them? The one uh, was from another job that I worked at. She left because she had a baby and then she just wanted something kind of part-time, which was perfect as a startup. We were only open every other week and then every week. Um, so it was nice for her to come in. The receptionist reached out to us. She saw our, our Instagram and reached out to us. She worked at ortho for a while and then took time off. So everything kind of just fell in. And then the last hire, I actually, I put an ad out and that's how I found her. Hiring employees is probably the most difficult process. Finding the right person, they're reflecting your practice and everything you built. Yeah. Was it kind of tedious? Like the hiring process for you or like the interview well, process? I think it's going to continue at, as we grow. It's going to be more and more employees. And I think that's one of the challenges is delegating enough. So in the beginning, I was like micromanaging. I was trying to do everything and it was just wasn't possible. I was getting burned out. So learning to delegate tasks and trust that everything was done correctly. And you have to trust the person that you hired to be able to do that. So I think it will continue to be probably the hardest part of owning a practice is the HR side of things, but it comes with the territory, I guess. Do you do anything specific in the interviews? Like, what are you looking for where you're like, this is it, this is the right person. And then you're like, this, you're wasting my time, but I guess. Yeah, you know. so it's more of the culture. So I've always, I always heard you hire for personality, not for skills. You need to have the best skill to work on assistant, but if they're miserable, you know, you don't want that with your patients. So it's kind of hiring for personality. And then I was comfortable trying to teach them how I let them do the chair side clinical stuff. So it became, it came down to personality mostly. That's good. That's good. Rewind a little bit. I want to go back a little bit. And you said, um, you feel like, well, actually, would you just recommend, let's just say orthodontists are listening right now. Yeah. Would you recommend breakaway to them or be like, nah, you no, I don't think so. So I just, and this kind of, I tried to learn a lot about startups and there just wasn't a lot about startups for ortho because in the past there was everyone went in and bought a existing practice. So about two weeks ago, I started an orthodontic startup Facebook group because I think it's important. Nothing exists like breakaway for orthodontics, you know? And so, so far we're up to like a hundred members, but everyone's asking questions, you know, what insurances do I need as a startup? How do you do insurance for orthodontics? Because that's totally different than general dentistry. So I think breakaway had good concepts, but it wasn't, it didn't translate to ortho as well as I hoped. Nice, man. So you started your, you started uh, the making of a... Uh, Yes, and hopefully, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a totally different ball game. So hopefully that continues to grow. We have people that are contributing a lot. So um, I, even I'm learning a ton. So I hope it continues. To grow, yeah. What is it called? Orthodontic Startups. Orthodontic Startups. Okay, nice. So all the orthodontist people listening, man, like go, go check it out. That's going to be nice, man. Okay, so we talked about the employees. What's production and collection looking like for you right now? Summer is usually great for orthodontics because all the kids are off school. So we had our best month in July. 
collections is always lagging, like I said. So it's good and bad and have accounts receivable, which got a lot of orthodontists through the COVID period. You know, they were shut down, but you still collect your monthly payments, which is kind of unique. So now collections is kind of dragging behind, but you still have money coming in. So it's nice to see production keeps going up and up. We are kind of patient. And like I said, I think because we are so lean, it slowed the growth a little bit. But now that we're kind of taking off and cash flow is there, now we're ready to kind of pump more money into marketing and that stuff, which hopefully will lead to more exponential growth. Yeah. How many patients are you getting monthly right now? So right now we're only we're open three days a week and we see about eight new patients a day. So we're doing pretty well, you know, about 30 to 35 a month. Oh, wow. Okay. So then what are you doing for marketing and advertising? So currently I'm kind of in a unique area that still relies on word of mouth a lot. So doing a lot of community outreach, like we'll sponsor a lot of the sports, youth sports events, we'll sponsor the Mobs Club events, uh, donate to the schools, uh, donate to the library. And that's more, I think, a slower way to get patients, but a sustainable way to get patients. You know, everyone's heard of us through this and this, and this person said nice things. Try to dabble in Google ads and Facebook ads. And that's where I think our next phase is, is, you know, bringing on someone with experience and a marketing background to kind of take that over because again, it's too hard and I don't know enough about it. And I think that's kind of where the next getting more of an online presence would help our practice. Yeah, no, definitely. So let me ask you something. Um, a lot of this involves like ground marketing, right? Community outreach, sponsors, events, things like that. Yeah. What do you think about the sponsor sports events? What's the population like over there where you live? So population is growing. The kids are growing a lot. So that was important. I looked at a lot of locations before my wife settled down at her practice. I looked at Northern Virginia, Maryland, everywhere to see where that growth was. Because for, for Ortho, you want where the kids are. You know, I looked at what schools are being built. Are they doing expansions of schools? Because that was a sign there's growth for the youth population, which usually meant good for ortho. And I also looked at the competition. So I looked at, you know, I pulled up people's websites and how old are the orthodontists? If they get close and have a terrible website or no website, you know, they're not much of a threat. I didn't want to set up shop right next to some young guy that, or young girl that's a go-getter because that'd be hard to compete with. So for the community outreach, I don't know if we get a whole lot, but I, I think uh, people in my area like that you're giving back to the community, you know, and that's why I want to be, I want our practice to be part of the community. So even if it doesn't get the patients in the door, it makes us feel good. I think yeah. <laughs> we're giving back to everybody here. Um, word of mouth helps a lot. But like I said, I think our next step is uh, more in the online marketing. Gosh. What's the demographic for you then? Patient to doctor ratio? Do you know? Uh, well, we have a good amount of, I have a good amount of us that honest here, but with my wife being keto, that helps. I think, I don't know what our exact population to ortho, res, or ortho demographic is, but we have about four orthodontists in a couple of miles here. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that's another thing with the set ourselves apart, which is what all these startup posts, you know, you have to find a way to get it, get a different market, which is why we're going to bring on Botox um, and whitening and stuff to kind of tap into the adults, get them, you know, get them in the door. Um, yeah. Because a lot of the adult work, though, they just went straight front six teeth, more aesthetic. So kind of goes hand in hand with that. With whining and everything like that. Interesting. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. I was asking about the sponsor like sports events because I know here, and this is like, remember, keep in mind, LA. So it's like yeah. throw a rock, you're going to hit like 10, right? Yeah. So I remember 
years ago doing a sponsored sports event and didn't even do anything for like the whole year. Maybe it brought in some brand recognition. I don't know. But I'm thinking maybe for your community, it will, you know, like it, it does build the brand. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like there's a, they even have, still have little newspaper ads that go out in this area. Um, and one kid recognized me at the soccer field, said, you're the, you're the guy in that thing. So it's still kind of an old school feeling here. We, we still depend a lot on referrals, um, general dentist and pediatric, which in a more sac- you know, city area, LA, people just look online and say, where are they good reviews and shop around. But over here, it's still kind of the way it was 10 or 20 years ago, it's they, they rely on word of mouth and what their dentist recommends, which can yeah. be helpful for us. Yeah. yeah. And still till today, I feel like that's the strongest patient, you're yeah. gonna, like new patient you're going to get is like a referral, right? Yeah, exactly. Somebody, so right now, throughout this process, I guess from the moment you like, you know, started doing this till right now, what's been some of the best companies you worked with and some of the worst companies? Well, PNC has been helpful. Banco, you know, I always heard things like avoid the big three, top three dental, but they've been very helpful. Uh, I think the biggest help for them is they have their own like floor plan design division. So I bounce ideas back a lot. I, I agreed to purchase equipment through them, but they helped me with the floor plate a lot, which is where I feel like a lot of startups struggle and, you know, trying to think of how best to design and optimize the space. And then just some of the more orthodontic manufacturers, the bracket manufacturers and the clear liner manufacturers. But other than that, we haven't done a whole lot of bringing a whole lot of other companies. Our software has been helpful. And I think, again, online presence, online scheduling, like helped a lot for new patients that go to our website. You just click a button and you can make an appointment right there online because now it's all about people don't want to have to take time to call, get a hold of somebody, schedule an appointment. You can just do it right from your house. What software is that that you're using? It's called Grayfinch. So it's a newer orthodontic software, but I feel like they're very creative and um, updating a lot. So I think they're going to start becoming more and more popular. Uh-huh. So is, is it kind of like local med or no? That's a good question. Well, local med, is that only, is that patient management also or just online scheduling? I think that's just online scheduling. Yeah, so this is kind of, so the initial orthodontic software that looked at, we still had to add all these other companies, you know, like a local med for online scheduling or for reviews or weave. So, um, this kind of had all at once. So it included the online schedule. It included automatic text to leave reviews. It includes sending out claims shirts. So it's kind of all at one, which helped a lot uh, as a startup because it was doing a lot of the work for me. You know, as a startup, it's hard. You're split in so many different directions. You still want to associate. You have your family. You have a startup. Um, so anything you can do to kind of get the process going and optimize um, is helpful. Nice. Great, Finch. I never heard of that. I never heard of them. Yeah. It's really, really good. Okay. So then what were some of the worst companies or ones that you feel like, oh man, this didn't fit with me. When I started up, the only way to submit to Invisalign is to buy an Ontario scanner, pay the monthly fees. So I kind of shifted to a company called Spark. That's all kind of in the same realm. So more and more clear liner companies that you've heard of, Clarity and SureSmile and all these that are now up to par with Invisalign. So we used um, Spark, which has been helpful. They were they were helpful for a startup. They you know, they had graduate pricing, so as a startup, you want to try to keep your costs low. So that was helpful. So I actually jumped ship to Invisalign, which was a little scary, to be honest, but it's been working out well. Do people come in saying like, "Hey, I want Invisalign," and then what do you say in order to get them into Spark? 
Yeah. So that was my biggest concern, right? Is like, I went to Vizblend. Why are you giving me this other product? And a lot of them actually don't mind. I call them clear liners. Um, if they ask, I say, yeah, this is Spark. I like it better because it's sort of a specific company. And it's now becoming, you know, it's just a way to treat. It's just a modality. So like Tiger Woods golf clubs wouldn't be good in my hands, but he does well with them. So it's the same. It's a tool, right? It's, it's the clinician behind it. That's the important part. So I often compare it to tissue brands. Kleenex and Puffs, will you know the difference? If you had to, probably not. So it's very similar to that. I like that. The Tiger Woods analogy. Oh, that's, that was good, yeah. man. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> They'll shoot the hundred if I use Tiger Woods clubs. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's true. Okay. How, uh, what is the, um, if somebody wanted to uh, like start out with Spark, how does that process go? So I think you can sign up. It's changed. It's again, it was kind of in its infancy when I got on board and it's grown and more and more popularity. A lot of orthodontists are moving from other aligners into Spark. But you would just reach out to like your warm, the Ormco rep and they would set you up with training. It's very similar. Almost all the companies I looked at have very similar software, you know, so it's pretty easy to adjust if you're used to one going to another one. Yeah. Does that ever bother you, Rob, where you like get patients from a general practice and then you're like, hey, messed it up. I'm happy to help out general dentists. I think there is certain cases that they can handle and um, be confident doing so. And I always tell the dentist near me, like, let me, if you have questions, I'll help you with the lid check because, you know, that pays itself forward three times. If you help them on one case, they'll send you three refer, you know, three patients. So I think it's uh, less on the competition and more becoming colleagues and helping one another uh, goes a long way. Yeah, I like that. So then right now, what would you say is like the um, unique thing about your practice, whether it's systems that you've created on your own or anything like that, where where it's unique? Yeah. Uh, I think it comes down to the culture of the practice. I still call a lot of patients, you know, as, as the practice gets busier and busier, doctors sometimes lose focus of the communication aspects. And we've had a lot of patients that went for multiple consoles, but they end up treating with us because of, you know, we took the time to sit down and go over everything with them. We didn't rush them out the door. You know, I would call in the follow-up on treatment and stuff. So I think it's, um, Patients want to know you're, you're, they're in good hands. They're going to be treated for a long time and that they're just not another number. So we, you know, try to make sure everyone's comfortable and almost part of the family. I like that, man. So throughout this process, from the moment you decided to be like, okay, I'm going to do this, the sublease first, right? Not the yeah, official yeah. Till yeah. right now, what have been some of your biggest struggles or your fails or pitfalls? Not enough time in the day. And not enough uh, caffeine. So <laughs> like I said, when I started up, I was still associating. I had a young a toddler at home. When I decided it was time to do this, my wife was like, just don't make, just make sure you're not spending too much time at starting up. I want you to be part of the family too. So I think that's the most challenging, you know, dental school and residency put off your life really for a while. You don't buy a house usually. Most people don't have kids usually. So it all tends to happen all at once. You get your job and get a house and start your family. So that was the hardest thing was trying to find enough time to make sure the practice is going well. Um, and that's like why where I said delegating tasks and stuff is very important and hiring the right people that you trust that can do the job is very important. And it continues to be a challenge. Still not enough time in the day to do things. I have a to-do list that it seems like I keep adding three things and doing them. So it's just, you know, it never ends. Um, but you still get to see your hard work pay off. So um, 
I've still yet to spend the night in my office, which was a big thing for me. I didn't want to be that guy afraid of sleeping bag, you know, while you're starting up and pulling all nighters. So I needed to do that, which was my goal. So I still try to be at home a lot. But that's the hardest thing is trying to be three different places at one time. So you're being like pulled apart. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like uh, here, here. Yeah, exactly. Where where do you feel like, um, or how's that working for you, man? How is that working for you so far? Like internally for you, for Rob, you're like, and I, I can keep doing this or how do you feel? I think I can keep doing this. I had, so I worked at, at my associate job up until a couple months ago. So maybe about 15 months from my startup, I kept that because I needed that side income. Um, that was hard. So I was there like three days a week, had my startup two days a week with patients. And as a startup, you needed a whole other day of business stuff and then the family. So that was challenging. Um, we're very thankful for my wife and her patience with me um, through that process. But now it's, you know, I kind of laid off the side work. So now I can do more of the admin stuff during the week. So it's getting better. I think the first 12 months was stressful learning how to do everything yourself. Like I didn't know how to do sterilization. I, I learned it because I had to. You make mistakes, you learn from it. And then you teach it how to, you teach how to do it to someone for someone else to be able to do it. So it's getting better. I think it's just a hard stretch in the beginning. How do you deal with like the days where you just can't, you don't want to hear it from like your, you know what I mean? Anybody, anybody from anything. I'm just, you know, maybe your wife's like, where are you? Like all the time or then, or yeah. your kids are like, well, I need, you know what I mean? How do you deal with? The bad thing is I lived close to the office. So it used to be like, you know, your drive home, you would, you didn't want to talk to anybody. You turned the music up, you put the windows down and just kind of relaxed. I only lived like 10 minutes down the street, which was what I want. I mean, I love the commute. I love being home, but you need that time. And that's where having a good member, like, like my spouse, my wife, she would take the kids and I can kind of have a moment of silence because you really don't get much silence once you have your practice and family. It's kind of like uh, all, all the time. And I, I feel like that 10 minute drive is not so much to be like, oh God, I need to be, it's more like a, I just had a stressful day. I need to like turn that off and, and, yeah. and turn this on. No, that's good. Awesome. So then any last final piece of advice you want to give to our listeners? I think just that patience and hard work pay off. You really have to put in the work. It's not going to, your hard work's not going to show up for the first year or more. But if you do the right thing with your patience and with your team, you're going to have success for decades to come. So, awesome. Okay. And the last question I want to ask you is, I know you said you did your finances, right? Like you, you kind of did your whole um, yeah. evaluation just recently. Yeah. Where do you see room for improvement? So when we talked about this, it's getting new patients in the door. And that's, I feel like for every practice. So I think our, that's where our next step is, is marketing. I think that's important for startups. You know, you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you need to in marketing in order to get patients in the door and get, build the practice. So I think our next step is to kind of push forward on the marketing side of things. Gotcha. Awesome, Rob. Thank you so much for being with us, man. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yep. So Rob Laraway, we're at Ken Allen Orthodontics. And uh, if you're an ortho startup, thinking about starting up or a startup, uh, you can join us on Facebook group, Ortho Startups. Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below if you want to check it out or talk to Rob, pick his brain a little bit more. And Rob, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. Thanks, Michael. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and definitely go in the show notes below. If you're an orthodontist or you're uh, an aspiring orthodontist looking to uh, actually own their own practice, right? Join his Facebook group. When he said that, 
it made me think, oh my gosh, he's right. I haven't really seen an ortho startup Facebook group. So go in the show notes below, join it if you want. Um, I'm sure a lot, a lot of knowledge is being dropped in there. And Robert's a really, really smart guy. So definitely go join it, pick his brain, reach out to him. And guys, don't forget to support the podcast. If you want, go scroll all the way to the very bottom of the show notes and you will see our sponsors for this episode. And they're giving you all exclusive deals. And they're deals that you may need, right? If you need phones, if you need a free scanner, if you need a new lab, if you need practice management software, a cloud-based practice management software, that's all in the show notes below. There are sponsors. They're giving you guys an exclusive deal. And they support the podcast. And if you check them out using the links, you guys support us. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. I will talk to you in the next episode.